Hello and welcome to episode 669 of the official Establish the Run podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR and we're coming off of a first game back strikes kind of week. Yes, that's right. What you needed to win on Sunday was Rams running back Kyron Williams. Of course, Kyron Williams hadn't played since week six due to an ankle injury. Just gets off IR. and But remember, before that ankle injury, Kyron had a CMC-esque role. Literally, 90% or more of the snaps on a weekly basis. Big time pass game role. Goal line back for a team that has really run heavy around the goal line. Just an insane role for Kyron before the injury. So now, first game back, Sunday, week 12, comes against the Cardinals. I mean, you can make a case this is one of the best possible matchups. And Kyron was reasonably priced, at least on DraftKings, at 6,600. So why, given all that, why was Kyron only 15% owned in the 555 Millie Maker on a 10-game slate? First game back syndrome. That's all it is. And I fall into this trap also. Well, you know, he's been out for so long. They might ease him in. I'll just find a cleaner spot. Kyron's insane 41-point game Sunday reminded me that what I just described is just flat wrong. In DFS tournaments, if we wait until we see it, it's too late, right? If we wait to confirm that Kyron has his old, his old rollback, if we wait to confirm that Kyron's ankle is really okay, it's too late. Because now, after this usage and this output that Williams just had, he's really likely to be overowned going forward and more expensive. So a real GPP bro lives for these spots. You know, I know Leone's talked about this, but it's possible, maybe even likely, that these guys are actually healthier in their first game back off a long injury layoff. Kyron's been rehabbing, resting, not taking hits for the last six weeks. Meanwhile, the guys playing every week come into every game so banged up, even if they aren't effectively hurt. So yeah, I had four tournament teams this week, only played Kyron on one of them got a min cash out of it, you know, just so bad. I, I should have been on this spot. I know the Rams are obsessed with Kyron. The matchup against the Cardinals was unreal. And I knew people were going to be scared to play him off the injury. So I was frustrated with myself not playing more Kyron in tournaments. The good news was for FanDuel Cash, uh, I played it on FanDuel Cash this week. You can see the lineup review on the site. The good news there was that Kyron was so expensive on FanDuel that no one really played him. He was 8,200, 400 more than Derrick Henry, 800 more than Bijan Robinson, 700 more than JT, 1,600 more than Pacheco. But in FanDuel tournaments, that 8,200 tag combined with him being out for so long, that made Kyron really low owned. I was in some small field stuff on FanDuel and Kyron ended up being like 5% there. And I get it. It was really tough to fit that 8,200 tag but yeah, I didn't even really consider it, and that was bad. So just something I want to keep in my head, you know, might put a sticky note on my computer monitor, your GPP bro, play guys in their first game back, you know, so I don't forget. One other thought I had while I was watching Kyron go nuclear was related to season long and best ball. I mean, first of all, Kyron was a 2022 round five pick in the real NFL draft and was barely even getting drafted for much of the summer in season-long best ball formats this past year. It just 
confirms the way that I think is right to play these formats. You know, running back remains the most replaceable position. When Kyron went down, the Rams picked up Daryl Henderson off the literal street. He plays well. You know, Jonathan Taylor holds out, gets hurt. Zach Moss is one of the best fantasy assets there is. He was like a Bills cast off. Damian Pierce goes down. Devin Singletary is a stone cold nuts. But when Mike Williams goes down, Quentin Johnston is dust. You can't even use him. Jalen Guyton is dust. When Justin Jefferson goes down, KJ Osborne is not a fantasy asset. So the way to build a super team in these season long and best ball formats, in my opinion, is to invest our most, to invest most of our draft capital at wide receiver, maybe tight end or quarterback in the right settings, and then take all the backup running backs and wait for the chaos. The chaos hits every position. There's no doubt about that. But only at running back can you consistently get big fantasy games from backups. So yeah, I'll have more thoughts. You know, I've been thinking more about the best ball strategies that I saw out there this summer. And, and we're seeing some advanced rate stuff now as we get towards the end of the regular season. We'll talk about that more on future solo pods. Back to this past week's DFS slate, though, had to give have to give a few shout outs. First, regular listeners have probably heard me mention Coach Greg. Coach Greg is a former tennis coach, current lawyer. He's been coaching me ahead of these tennis bets that I play. Uh, he won the FanDuel 250 for 50K on Sunday with a Hertz, Devonta Smith, Skinny Stack, Gabe Davis, and Kincaid. Also hit big in that lineup on Rasheed Rice, Pacheco, without Mahomes, obviously, Derrick Henry, and Bijan. You know, just so, so happy for Coach Greg to ship the 50K there. And again, you know, we've talked about this. Stuff like Rasheed Rice and Pacheco together without Patrick Mahomes is something that or is not part of any game stack, it's something that the Sims are actually fine with and like in certain situations. You know, Rice and Pacheco were both very cheap and good plays on FanDuel, so you can play them together without Mahomes. And then the Hurt Skinnies, when he runs for so many touchdowns, you can play Hurt Skinnies, obviously. I thought Hurt's Devonta was a really interesting way to play. It saved you some money off of the Hurt's AJB stuff. Me and Leone talked about that some on the GPP review show. You can check that out on the site. Right now, also have to give a shout out to Austin Fountain. I don't know Austin personally, but he won a million on Sunday, sent us the nicest note. Hopefully you guys saw it on Twitter. Uh, he sent me a DM, said he has a kid on the way. He's just a regular guy, thanked us for changing his life. Obviously, we did not change his life. He made the team on his own. He earned the win on his own. But just knowing there are so many people out there who are not vocal necessarily, but get it, you know, not the people who demand picks or quote unquote winners or idiotic things like that, but people who get it and are trying to learn and play well and understand how important using the best projections, both actual and ownership are. So yeah, genuinely happy for Austin. Seems like a great dude. Even said he's going to do a AMA in our discord for everyone. So stay tuned for details on that. Just said he wanted to give something back to the ETR community said he was up for an AMA, so hopefully we can get that worked out. Oh, last thing I wanted to mention from the Week 12 slate. I went for a full fade on Justin Watson. Didn't play him in cash, didn't play him in tournaments. I think when someone goes off for an outlier game like Justin Watson did in Week 11 in that Monday night game against the Eagles, just have to think about what's actually changed. Has anything actually changed? And for Watson, I just didn't think anything had really changed. He ran a route. He ran a route on 
And Patrick Mahomes dropbacks against the Eagles. That's certainly a bump from what he's seen in the regular season, but that was still the sixth time this year he's ran a route on at least 57% of the dropbacks. He's still a 27-year-old wide receiver, former round five pick, who has never really done anything. The Chiefs' target shares outside of Kelsey are, of course, not sticky at all. The only good thing I could say about Watson was he was cheap. You know, he was still in minimum on DraftKings, 3K, and 5,100 on FanDuel. So for cash, I get it. For tournaments, there's just so much opportunity cost at each spot, especially at a DraftKings wide receiver spot where outsized games, even from guys in the 5Ks, consistently can get outsized games into the 30s and 40-point range. So I felt really good about the Justin Watson fade. He ended up 22% owned in the 555 million DraftKings. Insane. A fade that didn't work out was the Derrick Henry fade. I I could feel the steam coming on Derrick Henry. Everyone seemed to be on Derrick Henry in that game against the Panthers. He also ended up 22% owned in the 555. I just think it's over slash Jover for Derrick Henry. You know, not the player he once was. The Titans are not the team they once were. The offensive line is a mess. I mean, they could have easily gotten behind even against the Panthers. Pass game role for Derrick Henry can be non-existent a lot of weeks. He's just so touchdown dependent. And I don't think he has the 200-yard games in him anymore. He doesn't have the 80-yard touchdown runs in him anymore. So I just hate running into ownership on declining guys like Henry and Cup, et cetera. Uh, Henry, of course, had a big game, but in hindsight, I still like the fade on DraftKings. Not on FanDuel as much, but I still like the fade on DraftKings. There were so many running backs there to choose from. But on FanDuel, Henry is so likely to score a touchdown in this spot, and that's mostly what matters. So at 7,800, should not have been a fade there for me, I don't think. Uh, He can be washed. He can have no pass game role and still score two touchdowns and be a smash, and that's exactly what happened. All right. Need to get to listener questions, but two things, uh, one thing actually before I do, just want to remind everyone on NBA props. Very few people on earth looking at NBA props the way Dink and Gallagher and the team are. They are 149 and 88 for 16.8% ROI so far this year. I think that will regress some, but they have been around 14% each of the last two years on absolutely crazy volume. If you're interested in player props, please, please read the FAQ on the site and be aware it is very difficult to get lines before they move. Plenty of people are getting the lines, but it's war out there for sure. So be sure to read the FAQ. If you're interested, head to the props tab on the site for more information. All right, enough is enough. It is time for everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. All right. Appreciate everyone who submitted questions. Got a ton of them. Going to do six today. If I don't get to yours today, there's a chance I'll get it on a future episode. Question one from Nate says, does Gender Labs LLC have AI products coming to market soon? Feels like a game-changing potential resource for those on the team. It's so funny, man. You just have to use the business buzzwords to get the PE bros and the VC bros to a full 3.9 inches, you know? First, it was cloud. Then it was blockchain. Now it's AI. You know, just put that in your company's tagline and your valuation immediately goes up 3x, you know? Easy game. So yes, Nate, the official name of our company is now Gender Labs LLC, aka Gender Consultants, 
powered by AI. I really haven't had time to look into the new AI stuff deeply at all. I think right now, when most people think of AI, they think of chat GPT, you know, the, the language model stuff. Have a conversation with the computer effectively. I mess with that some. I think it's cool, but I view it as an internet scraper. And I know I'm not using it to its full potential. I know it can do way more. But all I've seen, or all I've personally used it for so far, is effectively an internet scraper. You ask it a question, it comes back with an answer effectively via the internet. It doesn't feel alive to me. It just feels like it scraped the internet really, really well. And some of the use case stuff, someone sent me an AI platform that will listen to a podcast or a YouTube show and then provide a summary. That's really, really cool. And I think really, really useful. But that feels like SaaS. You know, that feels like software as a service more than AI. Anyways, I'm certain that some really transformative technology will come of this, you know, pointing this technology at relationships. Now we're talking, Nate. I mean, I could really use some help. I, I could use AI to fulfill some tasks. I'm, I'm running out of time in the day. Uh, when my wife wants to cuddle, but no intercourse. Yeah, AI robot, you know, go handle that. Uh, when the kids need me to wipe their ass. Yeah, AI, please step in. When I need to ensure the launch angle at my ADOP, my average depth of penetration, when I need to ensure that it's calibrated, yeah, you know, AI, please guide my cock. So yes, here at Gender Labs, LLC, aka Gender Consultants Powered by AI, of course, we're looking for ways consistently to, to leverage this technology, Nate. We'll report back. Question two from Alex says, Adam. As a fellow dog lover, I need some advice. I've been running outside lately and keep getting chased down by a beautiful beast. Teeth have been shown, but I've managed to escape each time I run by the beast's house. My wife has suggested I carry dog spray, which appears to be some kind of pepper spray to scare the dog off. Can I, as a dog owner myself, spray a dog in the face while I exercise? I'm not sure I understand the question here, Alex. You're running outside, presumably in some suburban neighborhood, and you're getting chased by a dog? I mean, where do you live that there's just wild dogs uh, unleashed and not fenced in chasing after joggers? Regardless, we're not spraying the fucking dog. I don't care if it's a stray dog, whatever. We're not spraying the dog. Dogs are the true salt of the earth. Just go watch the Westminster Dog Show and then Marley and me back to back. Tell me that you don't prefer dogs to humans. It's impossible. So no spray, Alex. You just got to outrun this beautiful beast, man. Good luck. Question three from Brent. Friend, uh, Brent says, friend A gives friend B money to bet on a legal sports book because friend A does not live in a legal betting state. Friend B does. It is a season-long MLB bet for friend A. While the bet is pending, friend B does something irresponsible and gets kicked off said book. I won't state what he did. Friend A's bet is dead and money lost as B had to forfeit the account. The bet goes on to win. Is friend B on the hook for the payout? Man, Brent, this is, you know, exhibit a million of why I don't like sharing bets or investments 
or fantasy teams or anything like that with anyone. It just always seems to get real messy. I mean, fucking Top Shot. I was part of a group with Bales and Peter and Jeremy and some others. We bought some insanely good cards on Top Shot pretty early. They went straight up and to the right. I mean, straight up. I was like, hey, guys, maybe we should think about, you know, trying to find the sell button here. Uh, We're up a fuck ton. Uh, We know this whole NFT thing is mega flimsy. Oh, you're a nit, Adam. Uh, Paper hands, Levy. You know, they, they called me every name in the book. We don't sell. And I legit think our stuff, which at one time was easily, quote unquote, worth seven figures. Maybe it's now worth 10K. Maybe. You know, I've chopped best ball teams with friends. It just turns into people bitching at each other over picks we made and who was right, wrong. It's just awful. I just want to win or lose in peace on my own. And I'm sure that's the only child in me. You know, I just want to handle everything myself. But but yeah, anyway, to Brent's question, to me, this is an easy one. As your humble mediator, I hereby rule that friend B must pay out the bet, must pay it out. Once B agrees to put in A's bet for him, you assume responsibility of said bet. We're not giving out reverse free rolls here, even if we're friends. That said, I would really like to know what your buddy did to get kicked off of a legal book. I mean, these books are spending one to 2K just to acquire a customer, fully kicking someone off a book, not limiting. I'm talking about fully kicking them off the book and canceling their pending wagers. That's wild. Unless he did something completely illegal, I'd probably bitch or contact gaming commission until they graded my pending wagers. I mean, that's crazy. Question four from Nibson says, when creating lineups for the Sunday slate, do you always try and include a player or players from the late window so that late swap is always an option? Or is it just always play the best plays? I think good question, Nibson. I think more and more people understand late swap better now. Not that long ago, I'd guess 95 to 99% of people playing on DraftKings and FanDuel only use late swap to replace a late scratch on their team, to replace an injury. What they failed to realize is that there are big edges in swapping based on where you are in a contest and what's happened so far in the games. In fact, I'm roughly certain, like 100% certain, that eliminating late swap altogether would be good for casual players. But... DraftKings and FanDuel would never do it because the PR hit an overwhelming customer service, emails, tweets. It's all just too much, you know, too much bitching when someone gets scratched after lock. Anyway, Nibson's question. For cash, I don't worry about it. I don't worry about it at all. Maybe I should. I know some people do. But in cash, I'm just trying to make the best team, make the team I think is best and not worry about late swap. That said, I play mostly head-to-head where late swap isn't nearly as valuable as it is in 50-50s or double ups. In those 50-50s and double ups, you can really tell if you're behind early, if you have a good idea of whether or not you should be able to have a good idea if you should swap or not ahead of the 4 p.m. games. In head-to-head, I mean, these animals show up with things that I couldn't even dream of. I have no idea what they're going to show up with. So swapping there is often bad. But Nipson, for tournament teams, yes, I think making teams with late swap in mind is an option. Thanksgiving slate, I thought was a good example. You know, I purposely started a couple teams with Dave Montgomery and Lions defense. I thought Dave Montgomery would be a little bit contrarian. If he hit big, I was going to go with the Dallas stack. You know, that was the chalk I thought. I thought that was just the best plays, the Dallas stuff. If DeMont 
failed in the first game, I was going to go to a contrarian stack. You know, Howell, Purdy, Geno. So there's ways to do that every week. Guys on Established a Million talk about it some on Saturdays, but setting up teams for tournaments with that stuff in mind, I think is worthwhile, you know, especially when there's different late games that are interesting. Question five from The Million Dollar Man. He says, due to your height, do you also feel like if one NFL team took a chance on you, it'd be the Arizona Cardinals? Very funny, Million Dollar Man. Uh, Very funny. It is wild that the Cardinals have built a team of guys that wouldn't meet a lot of teams' thresholds. Like, some NFL franchises simply won't take a quarterback under six foot two. They won't acquire a wide receiver under 5'11". The Cardinals seem, I mean, apparently they think they found some inefficiency in the player market. Kyler's listed at 5'10". And by the way, listed numbers are often exaggerated, but Kyler's listed at 5'10". Marquise Brown listed 5'9". Greg Dorch, 5'7". Rondell Moore, 5'7". I mean, I like all those guys. I think they all can play. But together, it just doesn't make much sense to me. I think the best wide receiver cores are the ones where the wide receivers have complementary skill sets. But anyway, one thing about being short, Million Dollar Man, is I I really do think playing sports gives confidence. I I was always among the smallest in my grade for as long as I can remember growing up, but I always played sports. And I think instead of picking on the short kid, people gave me respect because I played, you know, and played well. So yeah, anyway, no one cares. But if you have a kid who's short, encourage him to play sports and try to get good at sports, you know, made a difference for me at least. And um, apparently one day you can play for the Cardinals too. So yeah. All right. Question six, last question we're going to do today comes from T Frothing Bellows. He says, Why are wet wipes necessary for cleaning infants, yet grown adults are okay walking around after a dry wipe? Look, man, it's a great question. There is absolutely no doubt that dry toilet paper is a prehistoric way to clean oneself. People are going to look back at our society in 500 years. They're going to laugh at a lot of stuff about us and think about how dumb we are. But maybe the biggest thing that they'll laugh at us about is they're going to say these idiots were so unevolved that they took a dry tissue and smeared their ass with it. Clearly, clearly, wet wipes and or bidet is the way to go. At least currently. You know, I'm sure more technology is coming. The problem for me, at least, with wet wipes is these companies, the wet wipe companies, they lie. When I was living in Philly, I went to the wet wipes. I was very careful I got the ones that clearly said flushable. I mean, huge letters on the packaging, flushable. Fast forward two weeks, not even two weeks, maybe like a week and a half after using these flushable wet wipes and the toilet was completely clogged. Had to call the plumber. He has to snake the toilet, pulls out a bunch of wet wipes. It was fucking humiliating. Since then, I've been afraid to go back to the wet wipe. And I know I've said it a million times. I think the answer here really is the bidet or the faux bidet, you know, the whatever it's called, Toto or, or whatever. I do think that's the right answer here. I, I got to get on that uh, this offseason. I'll add it to my very important to-do list. All right. That's going to do it for this week's solo pod. We'll be back with Sam for waivers and then Silva for team by team. You can always find those shows on our YouTube as well. Four. 
producer Luke. For Jerry, the most beautiful beast in the world, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.